This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. Today on episode 7 of Your Partners in Pain, we're speaking with Dr. Robert LaPrairie. Robert is a current researcher at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon with an enormous CV of educational and training experiences based in biochemistry, neuroscience, and pharmacology. Robert is currently an assistant professor and a Canadian Health Institution Research Chair in Drug Discovery and Development. He is the President and Director of Education and Training Initiatives and the lead on the Canadian Consortium for the Investigation of Cannabinoids. Today, he is about to give us an incredible overview of cannabis use and how this can apply to chronic pain and wellness. So, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today on your Partners in Pain. So a hot topic right now in pain care is cannabis use. The purchase of cannabis in Canada is now fairly freely available and legal under certain conditions, but I know there are so many questions that people have about using it, what the indications are, what the side effects might be, and most importantly, does it actually work? Um, I know there is a lot of anecdotal evidence on the benefits that cannabis has health-wise and for pain management but the science is probably uh, misunderstood or unknown by most people. So Robert, can you just walk us through some Cannabis 101? What is happening when someone uses cannabis and what is the research saying about how it can be positive for those living with pain? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to just start by saying thanks so much for having me and for getting this opportunity to chat today. Uh, So you had asked me about uh, Cannabis 101, kind of what are the key things that we need to know about cannabis. And the first thing I like to tell people about is the endogenous cannabinoid system or the endocannabinoid system. So this is a system in all of our bodies that is a standard kind of neurotransmitter system, just like any other neurotransmitter system you would have studied uh, going to school, whether it's dopamine or serotonin, it works through very similar mechanisms. So our bodies naturally have two main cannabinoid receptors. They're called the type 1 and the type 2 cannabinoid receptors uh, because as scientists, we're very creative when we name things. 
these are the primary receptors in your body that respond to your body's own cannabinoids. Our major cannabinoids are called anandamide and 2-arachidonoglycerol. So these natural neurotransmitters, they exist in your brain. And when you have two neurons talking to one another, the second neuron that's receiving the signal, it's going to make endogenous cannabinoids. Those endogenous cannabinoids are then going to travel backwards to the first neuron. They're going to interact with CB1, the type 1 cannabinoid receptor. They're going to turn it on and they're going to use CB1 to tell that first neuron to slow down and actually release less neurotransmitter. So your endogenous cannabinoid system is there to kind of act like a braking mechanism to slow down neurotransmission. In the same way, we have type 2 cannabinoid receptors in our inflammatory or immunomodulatory cells, like our T cells and our B cells. And when endogenous cannabinoids uh, work at CB2, really what they're doing is telling those cells to release less pro-inflammatory stimulus. So it's an anti-inflammatory activity. Now, in the cannabis plant that we are now becoming more and more familiar with as a society, cannabis naturally makes chemicals that resemble our body's own endogenous cannabinoids. This is just kind of a, an evolutionary coincidence. Uh, it's not like the cannabis plant was out there waiting for some human to happen upon it. One of the pervasive hypotheses right now is that the cannabis plant actually makes these chemicals as a form of built-in sunscreen to prevent, protect itself from UV radiation, but we really don't know. In any case, cannabis makes many, many different cannabinoids. And the two that we understand best are delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, and cannabidiol, or CBD. So THC is the thing in cannabis that gets you high. And it does that by activating CB1 more than your own endogenous cannabinoids might. So it kind of like hijacks the system that's already there in your body. And it facilitates the getting high, but it also does things like modulating pain perception and movement and mood states. CBD is a little bit more complex. And CBD works through a whole bunch of receptors in your body to mediate many different effects, including anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, but CBD doesn't get you high. So that's the main difference, the main takeaway there. Um, the other thing that I just want to emphasize in this kind of ca cannabis 101 piece is that really this is an emerging field. Um, we are just beginning to understand how cannabinoids work at a detailed level. If we compare our understanding of the endocannabinoid system to other systems like opioids, we've known about opioid receptors since the 1960s. We've known about morphine since at least the 1700s, if not earlier. Um, but if you look and compare that to cannabinoids, we didn't actually know there was a cannabinoid receptor until 1991. So the the delay or the difference is very real. And this is a, a growing field that we're still uncovering new things about all the time. Okay, cool. That was a lot of science. I feel like I should be taking notes as we go along, which is the beauty of having a recording because we can go back and listen. But thank you so much for that incredible overview. And I understand your professional background and educational training was focused on biochemistry and pharmacology, which I now fully understand, which is why you speak so well about this. 
but how did you end up exploring cannabis specifically as a medicine? Yeah, so I started working in the cannabinoid cannabis field back in 2010. Uh, I was a master's student at Dalhousie University, and my master's project really focused on Huntington's disease. So patients with Huntington's disease, uh, one of the things that happens even before these patients show any signs or symptoms is that they have about a 50% loss in CB1, that type 1 cannabinoid receptor. And that loss is in the part of the brain that coordinates voluntary movement. So my supervisor at the time and I, we thought this was very interesting and curious that you'd have this very specific loss of this one receptor in the part of the brain that's being affected in Huntington's disease. Uh, And so we explored that. But what I very quickly came to appreciate was that very little was known about this receptor generally. So we wanted to study this in the context of Huntington's disease. And what we kept coming up against was the fact that just very little was known about the receptor, period. Um, And so that kind of led me to realize that, you know, this is an opportunity to study something unique and novel and new and really explore, you know, some some new frontier, I guess you could call it. Um, And that got me excited to just understand the basic pharmacology of the receptor. Now it happens that that's the receptor that gets activated by THC from cannabis. Um, But really, there's a lot of potential here to explore and understand uh, something really new. So beyond Huntington's disease, we can now explore just, you know, how does the receptor work? What are its functions? What does it do? And where in other disease states might we have use for or need to reduce the harms of uh, cannabinoids? So, yeah. Absolutely. That's such a cool transition. And I saw that in 2020, you actually published a paper with some colleagues on how cannabinoids are being used as a therapy for both substance use disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. And I am really interested in this because in my own research um, at the university, I've repeatedly noted that there is a very close overlap between chronic pain, mental health, trauma, and substance use. Specifically, a lot of people falling into problematic um, alcohol or opioid use to self-manage their pain, whether that's emotional and physical. And in the case that I was in, I'm looking at veteran health where obviously PTSD is highly prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I am going to disclose a personal piece of information here because I think it's important um, for clinical evidence as well as uh, stigma reducing purposes. But I actually started taking medical cannabis myself in early 2020 um, in the form of pure CBD uh, soft gels. I just take it like a pill every day. And my family doctor had suggested that to me after I had started experiencing um, really bad chronic pain following a traumatic experience that occurred in a medical setting. And I would say personally, CBD was the single most effective therapy for me in terms of getting my pain under control, helping uh, reduce my nervous system overregulation and my overall anxiety so that I could start to function better in my everyday life. And I'm still taking it every day. I've never felt high. I've never had any negative side effects. So I can personally attest to the benefits here, but can you give us some insight? What is happening anything that you've observed um, through your own research in the most simple terms about how and why so many people start having so many different improvements health-wise in so many ways, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, just can you speak to that at all? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is really great. Um, I really appreciate bringing in lived experiences and talking about this. 
uh, like I said, we're at a stage in cannabis research where like the more data points, the more information we have, the better. Um, and I think too often in, in air quotes, basic science, we forget, you know, the impacts of effective medicines have on people's real lived experiences. So there's a few different pieces here uh, that I want to unpack. So first for THC. So a lot of people report that cannabis with THC in it has a bunch of different effects on their overall well-being and health. So like I said, THC is the thing that's going to get you high. So there is that component there that exists. Um, but we also know that we have cannabinoid receptors in our pain-sensing neurons. And the job of those cannabinoid receptors is, like I said before, to act as this kind of neuronal breaking mechanism to slow things down. And so in that context, the idea that THC could relieve pain makes a lot of sense. It's actually the same population of neurons where we see opioid receptors. And so there's increasing evidence now to suggest that THC might actually work as a substitute or an opioid sparing medication in those cases too. In terms of overall well-being, things like sleep and anxiety, uh, we have lots of CB1 receptors in areas of our brain that are responsible for mood and affect. And in those brain regions, again, you're slowing down neurotransmission, which could reduce anxiety, which could improve mental health and could improve sleep. And sleep is a big thing here. I think often in clinical studies, sleep is overlooked. But I mean, one of the primary reasons I get grouchy is if I haven't been sleeping well, right? CBD is a whole other kettle of fish uh, because it has a lot of different activities in the body. Uh, in my lab, we refer to CBD as the promiscuous ligand because it binds to many, many different receptors. But among those different receptors, there have been reports from our group and others of CBD working through serotonin receptors, which would mean that CBD could alleviate anxiety or boost mood. There have also been reports of CBD, CBD working through type 2 cannabinoid receptors to relieve inflammation. And so this all plays into the idea that CBD, although not the same as THC, also has a role to play in reducing inflammation and affecting mental health. Uh, I think what's really exciting here is that we have this kind of little treasure trove of things that we can get into in this plant in terms of pharmacology. Like I mentioned with THC, this has really important implications for pain management and substance use disorder. Um, there is increasing evidence, particularly out of the BC Center for Substance Use, that cannabis can be substituted for some opioids or help with opioid relief. Um, but really looking forward, I think what we need to be thinking about is how we can study this in a more directed way and really put an evidence base into the medicine. Because what we don't have right now is the ability to say, oh, you have chronic pain. Perhaps you should take this dose of THC twice a day for X number of months. There's no defined prescriptive measure like that. And so for patients like ourselves, it becomes more of a trial and error process. And so that's where the, the clinical information is really lacking. For sure. And I think an ongoing theme of the podcast kind of throughout the whole season has been there is no one size fits all and THC might be great for one person or CBD might be better for them. It really depends on the context in which they're living, what their history is like, and also even just the delivery modes. Like I didn't realize when it was offered to me 
that I could take a pill. I thought I had to smoke it and I didn't want to do that. So those are just all really good points to keep in mind that it is a very individualized thing. And the more that we can talk about it and study it and learn about it, the more we're going to know and be able to offer people. So thank you for that amazing overview. Robert, I'm sure you sometimes probably come up against some resistance with the work that you're doing. As you said, it's a new area of research and study, um, cannabis or marijuana, pot, weed, whatever we want to call it. A lot of people still think of it as a very illicit substance. And I know many practitioners simply don't recognize the legitimacy of cannabis as a healing tool. So is there anything you would maybe like to say to those care providers that may make them a bit more open to the idea of cannabis use or perhaps any advice you could give to patients who want to ask their own physician about trialing it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely stigma out there, but I do think that every year it gets less and less. And we are in a very privileged place here in Canada, where I would say compared to colleagues in other jurisdictions, we see, I would say, the least stigma attached to it since legalization. Uh, And this growth is great to see. And there's been a lot of research growth in the last few years too. Uh, But first and foremost, what I like to emphasize with everybody is that cannabis and cannabinoids are drugs. You know, it's the same as any other drug. There's no magic. There's no mysticism here. Uh, All drugs will behave according to general principles of drugs in the body. You know, if I drink eight cups of coffee in the morning, I'm going to feel it because the caffeine in that coffee is a real drug. And the same is true for cannabidiol or THC. The effect might be different, but it's still a drug. Uh, The difference with cannabinoids is that we're still figuring out what those effects are and how they affect me versus how they affect you and what those differences are. Really, when I talk to clinicians specifically, I want to emphasize opportunities for education. Um, So one of the hats I wear is as the president and director of education for the Canadian Consortium for the Investigation of Cannabinoids, which is a mouthful, but CCIC. Um, We have an online platform for clinicians that is CME accredited. It is a nine-hour course that takes you through all of the evidence base for cannabis, whether it's harms reduction, addiction, or evidence base for you know real clinical studies that have happened with cannabinoid-based therapeutics. And so that gets a lot of people at least engaged to the point where they can make an informed decision. Uh, the other thing I like to remind people, not being a clinician myself, is just to have open and non-judgmental conversations with your, with your patients. Uh, there's evidence from Health Canada that at least a third of the Canadian population have tried cannabis, and probably about 15% of Canadians use cannabis regularly. So, you know, you're going to encounter it in your practice. It's going to be something you should know about. Education is key. And then if patients are using it, just like with any other medicines, start low and go slow. You know, we don't have the evidence base, like I said, to say you need dose X for days Y, um, in the morning with food, right? So you have to self-titrate. When I talk to kind of the general people in uh, in my world, you know, whether it's my aunties and uncles, or it's my mom and dad, or it's the teachers at my kids' school, I think education is key. One of the sources I like to point out for people is the Canadian Association for Mental Health. They have these really good guidelines on 
not necessarily avoiding cannabis, but if you're going to use, here's some things you should do to be smart about it. And those are really excellent. Um, for me, I just accept that there could be skepticism and all we can do against that skepticism is educate ourselves. For sure. That's such a great wealth of information. And I'll actually include um, some of those links and guidelines like to the Canadian Mental Health Association. So if anybody does want to learn more on their own before they go and speak to a care provider, we can provide that information for you. And you've been researching this topic for a while now, clearly. Are there still new things that you're learning all the time? Or do you feel like the science is pretty much there and you're no longer being that surprised with treatment outcomes or as things come up? So everything, like I get surprised every day. It's wonderful. Whether I'm working with folks in my own lab at USASC and we're working to uncover new things or whether I'm talking to colleagues all over the world, I get surprised every day. And it's one of the best parts of my job. I love the field because there's so much we don't know. So right now, like we have projects going on in my lab where we started by exploring sex differences following THC administration. Um, and we're now finding within females uh, differences depending on the phase of menstrual cycle that the females are at in terms of efficacy of THC, which is just fascinating to me. Uh, we're also looking at effects of cannabis in pregnancy and rat models. And with that project, it feels like every day we find something new. Um, and then a lot of my lab looks at, you know, new development of synthetic cannabinoids that are non-intoxicating. And so that is, in its very nature, drug discovery. So, yeah, very privileged to work in this space. That's amazing. And it's so nice to have you here at the University of Saskatchewan and in our province working on it. And I'm so excited to see what else comes out of your lab as things start to develop. And I know anything that we see, we'll share along the way so that people can remain informed. But in our province or even Canada more broadly, where would you like to see cannabis use research going next? Or in terms of policies, like what do you think would be helpful to just next steps for implementation? Yeah, for sure. In Canada, uh, like I really want to see a more systematic approach to cannabis-based medicines, and we're getting there. Like I do see cause for relief or happiness there. Moving towards something like a drug identification number or a natural product number separate from the recreational market for medical cannabis would be huge. Uh, this would allow us to do big, rigorous clinical trials. It would also allow individuals to have access to reimbursement on their health plans for cannabis-based medicines, which would relieve a big barrier for a lot of people because stuff's expensive. Uh, I would also like to see some sort of national system for research monies. So this is my big ask as a, a very open socialist. Uh, so some kind of levy where you could, say, tax cannabis companies at a small percentage in order to feed monies into the research that's solely needed. That sort of model has been hugely successful for the canola and wheat pools, and I think it could be successful here too. But both of these things, they require huge cooperation from you know, the private sector, government, and researchers like myself, um, but that would go a long way to help us move forward. For sure, and I know, uh... Barriers and care access is such a huge thing when we're talking about chronic pain. And so many people 
are hesitant on trying new therapies that might be really beneficial for them because they're not covered. And I think a lot of people don't even know, like, who do I talk to, to get a cannabis prescription if I want. And that's something um, we can also provide information on, but just that's so many amazing points that we have to keep talking about and advocating for so that we can have that better evidence base for sure. Yeah. So we're nearly near the end here. Would you like to mention anything else that we haven't discussed today? Uh, So I managed to get a a plug in for my lab, which I was very glad to do. You know, I'm very fortunate to be able to talk to you today. The, The truth of the matter is, as a faculty member now at the University of Saskatchewan, my actual time in the lab is very minimal. So um, a lot of the research that's been going on over the past three years in the pandemic, especially, has been carried out by the very hardworking folks in my lab, the grad students, the undergrad students, the postdoctoral fellows. Uh, So I just really appreciate all of their hard work grinding through this every day, making the really important discoveries. And I'm just so very happy to be able to support them. Um, And I would say that if others are interested in this field, if this is an area of research that they want to get into, then, you know, University of Saskatchewan is a great place to be. We have opportunities, not just with my lab, but with other labs as well, uh, to kind of move forward the the dial on this research. And uh, yeah, happy to answer questions if people are listening to this and think, oh, I wonder about this then I'm always available. For sure. And we appreciate that because we do often get a number of questions um, after an episode has come out. We will provide some contact information for Robert. So if anybody wants to reach out and seek some clarity on anything, but as you said, the University of Saskatchewan, we are doing a massive amount of health research there, whether that's in pain, whether that's in cannabis, community and public health more generally, it is an amazing place to be. And we are very lucky to have the university here with so many different research activities. But because this is a Saskatchewan-based podcast, um, one question we always ask is, what is one of your favorite things about living in the province or a place you love to visit or spend your time? Um, yeah, so one of the favorite, one of my favorite things about living in Saskatoon is uh, just being able to enjoy the city so close by to me. I haven't said that very well. We know what you mean. Some of us have lived in big cities and it's not the same as when you're here. (laughs) You know, I did grad school in Halifax. I did my postdoc in Florida and it felt like, you know, if you wanted to go to the park, it was a 10 minute drive. And if you wanted to go to work, it was a 30 minute drive on the freeway. And, you know, here I can bike to work in 15 minutes. Right. And that's just it's amazing. One of my favorite places to go is the uh, Whitecap Park just south of the city. I love to take my dog there and just let him run around and be crazy in the park and have a great time. It's so beautiful and easily one of my favorite places to go in the city. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people will resonate with that because we've got a lot of animal lovers that listen into the podcast and getting out with your dog, getting out in nature, just taking a walk outside in our beautiful city and the surrounding area. That is so good for both your physical health and your mental health. So if you haven't been to that area yet, we definitely recommend it. But thank you, Robert, again, so much for your time and all your information today. We would absolutely love to have you back 
So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And if you go to the dog park, maybe you'll see me and my boxer cross Sam running through the trails. Awesome. We look forward to it. As we said in the podcast, Robert is available to speak to you to answer any questions that may have come up regarding Cannabis Use 101 or some of the research activities happening at the USAS campus. He is also on Twitter and Instagram at rblaprairie. That's R-B-L-A-P-R-A-I-R-I-E. And I will also provide a link to his email and lab website. As mentioned, there are some incredible online resources regarding cannabis use, and we will provide links in the show notes from various organizations on this, like the Canadian Center on Substance Use and Addiction. And also, if you are over 18 years of age and a patient interested in trialing medical cannabis as a part of your own pain management, you can speak to your physician for a referral, or you can contact the clinic network select your province or territory, and you can speak to a coordinator and physician about if this is something that may be helpful as a part of your own healthcare management. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SaskPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.